From Nashville, Tennessee, Southwestern Family of Companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, we share insights and inspiration for movers and shakers in the world of business. Our goal is to help you increase your self-discipline, overcome procrastination, and help you to take action on all the things that really matter. So good to have you here. I'm excited to talk about something that is very important, the new media landscape. And we're talking about how media has changed uh, in terms of what traditional media looks like and how you know using media can help you grow your business, generate prospects, enhance your profile, and all that kind of stuff. And one of the, or the guests that I have for you today have been friends for a long time. You're going to get a little bit of an insight from them, and they're going to explain exactly what the new media landscape is and why it matters, how all of us um, how you are a media company and how you have to think about yourself like that. And then they're going to share some of those insights. And then at the end of this, I'm going to share for the first time ever a behind-the-scenes backstage look at exactly what our media posting strategy is every single week um, at here at Southwestern Consulting. So I think you're going to love it, just like every week right here on the show. So excited to have you. And we're going to get started just after this message. This episode is sponsored by Southwestern Coaching. Southwestern Coaching has helped over 11,000 people increase their incomes by over 25% on average. As a successful salesperson, you know the importance of increasing your sales, but sometimes you might just need a little extra push and accountability to meet your goals and grow your business. Southwestern Coaching will help you increase your income through one-on-one sales and leadership coaching tailored specifically to your needs. Together, we will elevate sales. To schedule your free one-on-one business action planning session with a Southwestern coach, go to www.southwesternconsulting.com forward slash action catalyst. There is a quote from Desmond Tutu that says that if you are, are you, if you are, Noticed in a crowd, it's because you're standing on the shoulders of giants or standing on the shoulders of others. And I'm proud to introduce you to two people who made a big impact on my life. Barbara Henricks is the uh, president of Cave Henricks Communications, which is um, a firm that has spearheaded campaigns for Jack Welch, Marcus Buckingham, uh, Tom Raft, and then uh, one of her business partners, Rusty Shelton, is the, the CEO of Shelton Interactive, which is a, a, a digital marketing and PR agency. And Rusty's team has worked on more than 25 New York Times and Wall Street Journal's bestsellers. And they have a new book. They have flipped, the, they have flipped roles, and they have a new book that comes out, uh, just came out. It's called Mastering the New Media Landscape, um, Embracing Embrace the Micromedia Mindset. And so we're going to pick their brains and give you a little insight into some of the things that I learned from them years ago. So, friends, thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. So great to hear from you. Well, let's dive into this because, uh, obviously, I've always respected you guys and trusted you. And um, you use this phrase, micromedia. And so can you just introduce what is micromedia and how, how has the media landscape changed in the last, you know, five or ten years? Sure. So – uh, so what Barbara and I talk a lot about in the book is this idea of embracing the micromedia mindset. And the way that we think of that is we've really entered the age of micromedia, where every individual 
and brand is a media outlet, whether they know it or not. So everybody listening to this podcast right now, uh, companies, nonprofits, et cetera, are, are all media outlets today, again, whether they, they recognize that or not. And so what they have the power to do now is to go around gatekeepers that used to guard access to, uh, to ink in newspapers or the airwaves uh, on, a, on a radio program or, or a TV show, and now they can go right around those traditional gatekeepers and, and get directly to their audience. And uh, the way that we think about that is some, some people that are, that are listening to this podcast may just influence a, a few hundred people via a Facebook profile or a Twitter account. Other people like you uh, through the podcast and in your blog are influencing tens of thousands of people each month. And so it's this idea that um, individuals and brands have an opportunity that they've never had before to build out a subscriber base and an audience that they own the connection to. And those micro media outlets matter tremendously to anyone looking to get the word out in today's media landscape. Mm-hmm. And so what's the, what, I mean, I guess like what's the, what are the real implications of this? So you look at traditional media being sort of top down. Like I think about, you know, the first time I was on national TV was with you guys. Uh, you know, I was on Fox and actually I was just back on Fox a couple of weeks ago. And I think of that as like top down, you know, it's, there's, there's only a few coveted spots and there's a few people that control them. And so this is changing it. So what are, what are the implications to business owners? to customers and then to the individual as a salesperson or just like you said as as an as an individual person that's a media outlet sure so you mentioned something that is is very crucial to what's changed in this landscape which is you said there are a few coveted spots and that's true uh-huh. so what's happened is you know the media the traditional media the oprah the cnn the fox and friends you know all of those have been challenged in essence, by the multitude of media courses, was courses was courses was largely caused by the internet. Um, Rusty, and so that real estate, those national media hits and traditional or earned space are probably more valuable than ever. If you believe in the economic principle of things that are scarce being more valuable, the big change here is there are no gatekeepers. So. The upside of that is you can build this personal connection to your audience. The downside of this is that it's made the world go from noisy to what I call deafening. It also makes the news mm-hmm. cycle itself very odd. So last February, within about 30 hours of one another, two things happened. Um, in one side of the world, um, a very vocal opponent of Vladimir Putin was assassinated in Red Square in Moscow. This was a huge event, one of the most um, dramatic acts of violence during Putin's time, um, tens of thousands of people marched in protest. Almost simultaneously in Scotland, a mother of a bride snapped a photograph of the dress that she wanted to wear to her daughter's wedding. And her daughter received the photograph. To her, this dress appeared to be white and gold. She became very upset, thinking that her mother would wear white to her wedding. She emailed the photograph to her wedding party, to the band, it made its way onto Facebook and it erupted into this national controversy. 200 million tweets over the, is the dress blue and black or white and gold? It was called Dressgate. So which one of those oh, yeah. do you remember? Which one of those things sticks in your mind the most? When we ask it, audiences that, usually people remember the Dressgate. What color? I mean, Congress yeah. debated this. So this is what's changed. Um, the gatekeepers aren't there, and things now have this opportunity to become news. It's not just going viral. It's just that the gatekeeper's gone, and everybody has a direct 
you know, access. Practically speaking, this means there's an opportunity before you to use this democratic access to this space to engage, to offer valuable information, to um, engage in dialogue. The challenge is that not everyone has the skills and the duties to do this tremendously well. So we have layman journalists in mass. Mm. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the the dressgate because I remember that. I, I, talking, I, I didn't remember either. I didn't remember either of them initially, but now I, I very distinctively remember that. Um, yeah, that was crazy. So that it that, was crazy. That is a big. It went, yeah. Um, that, so that, layman. You know, the upside of that is, you know, that seemed like silly, right? So you know, my using that story, it appears that you know something very insignificant or minor or trivial at best. You know, the color of a dress can push real news out of the spotlight or out of the headline. The upside of that is think about some of the good uses. Um, you know, the ALS by ice bucket challenge. You know, millions of people, $220 million was generated by that campaign for people. You know, it was outrageous. It was silly. It was visual. It also raised a lot of awareness and a lot of money. So the environment is really, you know, it is a two-edged sword. There are also new creations like Reddit's AMA, Ask Me Anything, we now have access to people like Bill Gates, President Obama, who will take advantage of this, and we have more direct access. So it's definitely an up and downside to this new environment. But the fact of the matter is the environment's different, and we all need to change. So you guys in the book, you talk about these three, these three different categories of media. Can you touch on those? Because that was, that was one of the big initial insights for me. I, I was just like, wow, I never – really thought about this, but that it's very important. It is. Yeah, you're exactly right. So most people that we talk to uh, when they're thinking about a marketing plan or a launch strategy for a book or a product, uh, it, it typically is grouped into one of two areas. It's either social or it's traditional. And uh, Barbara and I feel like that's a really dated way to look at the media environment. It really doesn't apply anymore. In this media environment, we think what is most important for your listeners and, and others to think about is this idea of whether or not they own the media. So in other words, whether or not they own the real estate online. And so in the book, we separate uh, media into three categories, owned, earned, and rented media. So owned media is every piece of real estate online in every media that you own. So your website, if it's hosted on, on your name, which yours is, of course, your blog, because it lives on that same website, your email list, because you own the connection to your audience through that email list. If you have a physical mailing list, as many companies do, that's owned media. The idea around owned media, and as Barbara and I really look at the overall media landscape, owned media equals leverage in this media landscape. It's an audience that you can get to anytime you want to. Um, and so you don't have to hope that NPR says yes to an interview request. You don't have to hope that Fast Company agrees to run your article. When you own the connection with a large audience, you can reach them anytime you want. Uh, the second sure. category is rented. Yeah, second category is rented media. Um, so a lot of people that we hear talk about, you know, their audience, they say, okay, well, my Facebook page, my Twitter account, my LinkedIn profile. And, and in some ways, that's true. Of course, you've got a lot of control over what your LinkedIn profile looks like. You've got a lot of control over what goes out on your Twitter feed. 
but in actuality, you actually own that real estate. You're in many ways renting that real estate. And so a lot of brands found this out the hard way in 2013 when Facebook tweaked their algorithm and limited access to the audience that brands had spent years building on brand pages. Uh, and one, in one fail swoop, limited access to that audience to about 10% of what brands had previously. And so uh, what Barbara and I talk a lot about in the book is this idea that, yes, we, we absolutely think uh, that uh, individuals and brands should have a, a smart rented media strategy. But you always have to keep in the back of your mind that the audience that you leave on Facebook or the audience that you leave on LinkedIn as opposed to consistently focusing on trying to convert them to your email list or, or owned media is an audience that's always at risk. Uh, the last category for us is earned media. Uh, and earned media includes uh, what we might think of as traditional media. So it's, it's getting an opportunity to be featured in the New York Times or Fox Business or NPR or others. Earned media for us also includes this podcast because – uh, this podcast is not something that, that you're letting just anybody onto. We've got to earn our way onto this podcast. So it's, it's this idea that there's a lot of perceived credibility that goes along with earned media, and there's a good reason for that because it's, it's not easy to get on. And so the way that we think about earned media, and you've done this so well with your podcast and, and your speaking, is this idea that when you get out in front of an audience, what you're trying to do is not just provide – extreme value and, and give them entertaining and informative content, but we always want to have that call to action, whether it's a free quiz or a download uh, on a website or a reason for those people to, to hit on their smartphone in the audience and, and head over to the website and grab a free ebook or whatever it may be. And so those are the three categories that we think are, are important for people to be thinking about and this idea that you always want to have a bit of a magnet directing people towards owned media. Yeah, and so you you mentioned the idea early on that everybody is is everybody is a journalist now because of really because of social at least and and so at the salesperson level if we go all the way down there you know salespeople it's like we we need to be making prospecting calls we need to be in client meetings we we have stuff that we have to be going on like doing so why should we care about micromedia or should we care and if we care how how much should we care? Like how much time should we be spending on it? So uh, I'm going to make the argument, the audacious argument, that you should care more than any other sector of business. And the reason I think it's true is because your job is not just to be transactional, right? The best sales people are what? They're relationship-based. They're, rela- they're trying to do more than close the sale. They're trying to create a relationship. So what what media does at the own level is it gives you direct access to your customer base. So all your clients now, you can be servicing them basically all the time, not just when you go in for the sales call, but you can be providing valuable content all the time. So these tools should really be looked at as, okay, I'm not going to just grow a subscriber base, as Rusty said, that sits on Facebook or LinkedIn or wherever I keep it. I'm going to challenge myself to create my own customer base on some piece of real estate that I own so that I can constantly be giving them something that's valuable. 
It's that mm. what we do with the media, right? So I, I always equate sales. We need to be pushing the media. We reach out to them with pitches. We follow up. We're trying to build a relationship so that the next time a book crosses their desk and it says Cave Henricks or Shelton Interactive or both on the press materials that hit their desk, what goes through their mind? Not do, am I interested in this book, but do those guys bring me good stuff? Or do they crowd my desk with 58 books every day that I don't have anything to do with what I write about or what I do on my show? So if we build the right kind of relationship with our contacts and we use media to do it, so you know, what are your customers' needs besides your product? What can you provide them that A, distinguishes yourself, and B, delivers something that makes you memorable and different in their minds? And I think micromedia is a good way to do that. What do they need? What are they looking for? Answer those questions. Kind of, you know, it's what we try, I try to do on our blog. You know, I might interview a literary agent. Does anybody need a literary agent today? Who reads my blog? Authors, authors who are trying to get attention. I'm trying to serve my audience between the times that they need my service. And I think that salespeople have the potential to do that. Mm, I love that idea of serving your audience in between I mean, it's the what times you're doing. they. It's what you're doing right now. You're doing a podcast, which, and what did you ask us? Why does my audience care about this? You're, you know, you're making touch points beyond just, you know, one initial impression. Micromedia really allows you to make constant impressions or to manage the relationship so that you are there with something valuable when you cross their, you know, their desk in this very noisy, distracted world in which we live. You really create. So your what about? Brand. What about uh, so so like is there any general rule that you guys see? I mean, I know you you got lots of case studies and stuff in the book. In terms of the amount of time, like what's the right amount of time to to spend doing this? Because it's I mean it's it's an it's another thing to do. It's like we already have a thousand emails in the inbox, right? That we're not sure. going to get to, and and now I got to be a media company, and it's I mean it's a struggle for me. Yeah, so you know it's it's a good question. I, I do think it varies. Uh, by person, but you know, we see as a pretty consistent uh, time commitment. Um, you know, people can do this well with 15 to 30 minutes a day focused on it. And what we recommend a lot of times is, is breaking that up into a couple of times a day, where where you hop on the Twitter or LinkedIn. I think are, are the two platforms that are most appropriate, at least in the rented media space for for salespeople. And you know, you had asked earlier, uh, why should we care as a as a sales industry about micromedia? Mm-hmm. And just to expand on on something that Barbara talked about there, it, it was to me one of the seven pillars that you talked about in in the road to 10 million for Southwestern. And, and congratulations, by the way, on that. But Thank the, you. the power of the power of perception is is hugely important for salespeople. Salespeople should be seen as the authority in their industry and. It's very hard to be an authority unless you have a personal brand in place. And we believe in today's media landscape, the best route to a personal brand uh, that positions you as an authority where you can prescribe and not sell is to become a micromedia outlet yourself and associate yourself through good content, through interviews, through, uh, you know, influencer connections with uh, the the current tastemakers in your industry. Mm-hmm. So uh, one last little question, and I'd love to hear from both of you on this. Um, the, you know, this the world is changing so ridiculously fast. I mean, it, it's like by the time you learn one thing, something new is is in place. And 
I remember, you know, it was like Snapchat, then it was Periscope, then it was Facebook Blab, and uh, Blab, and now it's, now it's Snapchat again. And 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 I and I I feel like you know keeping up with all the amount of change, and I wonder like how much of this can people really handle? But um, you know, in the future, you think about how do you how can a company how can companies and also individuals sort of future proof themselves, or or what are some of the things um, you, you know, like when things are changing, we're trying to we're looking for principles that we can grab onto that never change. Um, where it's like, okay, if I if I grasp this principle and I'm you know operating by this principle, then I'm gonna I'm gonna at least survive. So, um, what do you? What are some things that we can be doing to future proof ourselves? Um, you know, in in to survive the the changing media landscape, if you will. So there are a couple things I would throw out first before I toss it over to Rusty. So one is just um, being what we call discoverable. So before you open up anything new or decide you have to engage in, you know, 20 new activities, start with where you are. Look at yourself, Google search, you know, do a, a search engine shot on yourself and see how easy you are to find. You should be on page one of Google. So the first thing you do is find out how discoverable you are so that when people want you, need you, they can find you. To do that, Rusty, I know, would give the advice, go out right now, today, stop everything, and buy the URL that's associated with your name, so www.barbarahenricks.com. If you can do that, lock down that real estate, it will get more valuable over time. The second thing I would do is just make sure that all the bios that people can see actually reflect what you do today. Over and again, authors come to us with bios that don't talk about their latest book. You know, they say, or they just mention the book, they don't embed certain keywords that the media might be looking for. So, you know, we worked with a woman who'd written a book about terrorism, essentially. And one little tweak of her social media bio when ISIS erupted drove all sorts of traffic to her door. She was an expert on ISIS. She was. So all we needed to do was embed that. So look at your own, the existing bios that you have. Make sure they're up to date. Make sure they're accurate so that you're discoverable and buy your URL. Second is a really easy one and a softer principle, which is never sacrifice credibility. When you start representing yourself online, always be accurate, always be authentic. I just don't think that there's any replacement for mm. that. Don't start mm. creating an image um, that you are not comfortable with, that it is false. Um, just be who you are. Perhaps be a little larger or dramatic so that, you know, it is seen. Maybe not dramatic is the better but be more of who you are in larger doses. But always be authentic and always be accurate. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, go for it, Rusty. What I, yeah, what I would add to that, I think, you know, Barbara, Barbara hit the nail on the head there uh, around uh, clarity. And I think – in this noisy media environment, the the individuals and brands that provide real clarity for what their brand is have a huge advantage. Uh, you see a lot of people uh, that are that are building out a, a micromedia outlet where um, it, there's it's not real clear kind of what value they're providing. This is something I feel like you've been real good at from the start around daily discipline. You mentioned Simon Sinek in your uh, you know your lessons learned on the road to 10 million, and you know when anybody says the word why, his name comes up. Jeff Smart mm -hmm. around who, you know, there there are people that own, uh, you know, certain certain phrases or certain certain areas of focus, and I think branding and clarity around branding is hugely important. Uh, the other thing I would say in terms of future proofing is, again, 
not to not to put all of your eggs in any one basket. I see a lot of people that are incredibly heavy on their Facebook page or um, the entirety of their platform is wrapped up with the fact that they have a Forbes column. And in a moment's notice, if you don't own the real estate, you've got to be really clear that that could be taken away from you or Facebook could make a change and limit access to your audience. So uh, future-proofing, we believe the more of the connection to the audience that you own through an email list, through subscribers on your site, et cetera, the more leverage you have over the long term. So I would say owning a connection with your audience is another thing I would say is a really important future-proofing strategy. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting to be, it's like you want to be focused in terms of your branding, but you want to be completely like, um, I, what's the what's the word, not diluted, but um, like if you were going to have an uh, investment portfolio, what is the word for that? Uh, when you're yeah, you don't want to be lopsided. You don't diversified. Yeah, diversified. So it's like you you want to be completely focused in your branding, but you want to be completely diversified in your in your mediums um, because yeah, they do they do change. I remember it, it really hit us hard when Facebook changed, and um, it's been we've had a love hate relationship with Facebook ever since. So where do you want people to go? Um, Mastering the New Media Landscape is the name of the book. Uh, you're listening to Barbara, Barbara Henricks and Rusty Shelton. Uh, where, where do you want people to go to connect with you to and uh, get the book? Sure. So best, best place to go is masteringthenewmedialandscape.com. Uh, so we've set up a, a landing page there where people can – uh, access a free Twitter playbook and uh, link to both of our blogs. There's, there's lots of good information about the book there. Uh, they can also go to cavehenricks.com to learn more about uh, Cave Henricks Communications, uh, sheltoninteractive.com or rustyshelton.com uh, to learn a little bit more about what we're up to. But we're really excited about the book and, you know, sure appreciate you having us on. Oh, it's my my pleasure. And thank, thank you guys for what you do. You were a uh... Uh, you have, were and have been a big part of uh, any of the dreams that we've had come true, and I appreciate what you're doing. I think you're you are on the the bleeding edge here of what people need to understand, and certainly people that I've always looked to for the thought leadership and in, in what the media is and how to understand it and how to use it to your advantage. So Barbara Hendricks and Rusty Shelton is who you've been listening to. Thank you guys so much. We wish you the very best. Well, there you have it. An interesting look at how media is changing from people who have been working in traditional media at the highest levels with some of the biggest names um, for a very long time. So really interesting stuff. And I think, you know, the the thing that probably most resonated with me out of that or the thing I think that I will remember the most is I'll probably walk away thinking about, you know, these three different types of of uh, media, right? Like media that you own, um, media that you earn, and media that you rent. And that's a really fascinating way to look at it. And I think a lot of us, especially with our social media channels, right? We think of those as being like our channels, but they're definitely not our channels. We have we have little control, if any control, over what goes on there and the rules by which that game is played. And it's a funny thing for me because I've, I've never liked, um, I've never really liked Facebook from a from a you know from a business strategy tool, in terms of um, that that kind of control. I've always just 
not enjoyed the that experience. Now, I will say it's it's our number one tool for generating online business from an ad spend perspective and stuff like that. Um, and I think it, it's it's an incredible tool from a marketing perspective, but it's it's a risky, you know, because you're it is rented real estate, and you you don't want to build your home on rented real estate. So first of all, the core of our strategy is the blog, is is posting to the blog. And the reason that we love the blog is because you can post all sorts of stuff. You can post pictures, you can put PDFs there, you can put videos, of course you can write articles, you can have um, you know share buttons so people can share on social media, you can control the links that run right alongside the blog and all that kind of stuff. So um, and, and the blog is owned real estate. We control the conversation that is going on there. And one of the things that's worth talking about is I applied to write at several different places. And, uh, you know, you, you see these people who write on Entrepreneur and Forbes and Fast Company. And I actually got turned down at all of them. And some of them I've been turned down multiple times. And um, a few of them I've gotten guest posts for and started writing. And then, you know, as time went on, I just realized, you know, I didn't like playing by their rules. I don't, I don't fit probably in a lot of ways the, 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 the stereotype or the, the cookie cutter, you know, things that they need to have maybe to be one of their writers. And that's okay. Um, they, they have a, and they know what their audience wants. And, and I ultimately took that and I said, you know what, I'm just going to build my own thing. And I think that's been an approach that I've had to take in a lot of areas in life where it was just like we took that same approach with speaking. I couldn't couldn't get people interested to uh, book me for speaking. And so we just said, you know what, we're just going to take it into our hands and do it. Same thing with you know creating the book and uh, it was like, well, we're just going to figure it out on our own then and we're gonna we're gonna make it happen. And um, there's no different here with media. So for us the blog is the central, home base of this strategy. It's it's even more than the website. It is the the home of our virtual footprint. And then all of these other uh, things. So that's the owned real estate. And I will say that the the number one objective of the blog is to grow our email list. We give away some value-added stuff, uh, one thing of which is getting notified of all the free articles that we're posting. And so we get people to opt into the email list, which is then, I think, um, really our, our next greatest asset. Um, and that's certainly owned real estate. But then when you think of all the social media channels, right, you, you got Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Instagram, yada, 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 all of those things, for us, we think of as just these these traffic redirects. There's like these outposts, they're tributaries that point people back to the blog, because the blog is where we can control the conversation. Um, and, and to some extent, you can control what you say on other places, but you can't control who sees it and how much they see, right? Like on Twitter, you're limited to 140 characters, so you can't control the length of the post. So what we do is we use that as basically teasers and hooks to get people back to the blog. Now, we don't only just use links. We do put value-added things that are on there. 
and um, but the the goal is to get them back to the blog, and then on the blog is where we can build a relationship with them, and then hopefully, eventually, they'll develop trust with us to where they'll give us their email address, and then once they have their email address, now they're hearing from us regularly. Hopefully, they start tuning into the podcast, and we can really build trust, right? And they see, hey, we're giving away tons of value. I mean, of a, a master's degree in business and sales and leadership and communication and marketing. Um, on this podcast, and we're talking about that, and we're giving it away for free, and part of why we do that is we build people's trust, and then they refer us for speaking engagements or consulting, or they'll request a free call to learn about coaching, or they'll end up by buying one of our other video courses or our books, right? And that's um, how we make enough money to fund all of this different stuff that we're doing, meanwhile providing extraordinary value to the world. But um, so Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and Instagram are our core tributaries. Um, Twitter, we, we post 12 times a day. Uh, 12 times. I know that might seem a lot for some of you, but um, there's a lot of the, the most popular people on Twitter are posting more like 30 or 40 times every single day. Um, now, I'm not sitting on Twitter posting that often. Um, I'll talk about that in a second. But we're posting 12 times a day on Twitter. And then 432, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Four times on Facebook, three times on LinkedIn, two times on Instagram. And it's not always exactly that, but that is sort of the checklist that we're operating from. And we have Alexis, who is our social media manager for myself specifically, and then we have Thomas Dodson, who manages the Southwestern Consulting brand, along with uh, Nicole, and they're kind of the ones posting the stuff for the company. And then we're we are have um, our various consultants and speakers and authors and coaches who all kind of have their own assistants, and we're sort of teaching them this same methodology. But you have twelve, four, three, two. In general, is what we do, and. You that's just a formula that we have worked out over the years. It seems to work pretty well. We're in front of people enough that there is a constant stream of content, but not uh, hopefully too much to where we're annoying people. Um, but you don't, you don't want to be afraid to talk to people. If people are annoyed by hearing from you, then you want them to opt out. You want them off your email list. You want them to stop following you. It's the best thing in the world. So figure out what's comfortable for you and then do it. Now, how do we actually go about doing this? You go, well, goodness gracious, when do you, how do you have time to do all this stuff? And the answer is, I don't have time to do all this stuff, just like you probably don't. So um, that is why we have applied our own methodology of the focus funnel, eliminate, automate, delegate, procrastinate, and concentrate. So here is what I concentrate on. Um, I concentrate because we also blog three times a week. So we blog Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and we have a weekly podcast. And you go, how in the world do you keep up with all this? Now, it is a lot. Um, it is a lot. But here's what it basically boils down to. My job is to write two articles a week that are very short and produce one podcast. And that's a tremendous amount. Most people are not going to do that much. But that is what my job is. And then what happens is our team takes the blog, the blogs that I write or the things that I talk about in the podcast, and then they break them apart into many different posts. Um, many different, you know, if it's Twitter, they're just basically pulling out sentences from the blog posts or benefit statements or pain points associated with the blog posts or the podcast. Of course, we post the podcast every Wednesday. And um, from either myself or the guests that we have, 
and they they turn those into the other posts. And for Facebook and Instagram, those are typically visual posts. And that is how we do it. Now you go, well, okay, how do you keep up with um, three blogs a week? Well, it's pretty simple. I keep just a running list on my um, iPhone, on my notes, of just questions that come up that people ask. And anytime somebody asks a question, one of our coaches, one of our clients, or I find myself explaining something to somebody, I just I just document that and I go, oh, that would be a great blog post. And if I create a blog post for it, then it's the last time I, I ever have to answer that question because next time someone asks me the question, I can send them the link to the blog post or to the video or to the podcast. And also, as I have random ideas or you know just kind of thoughts, like I, I had a thought yesterday uh, about holding grudges, and it just said, you know, the ironic thing about a grudge is the per- is the the person it most hurts is the person holding it, right? And so I'll just have these kind of thoughts occasionally, and I just capture them on my iPhone just quickly, and then I will, you know, I sort of have one section which is for blog posts. And then I have another section that is for tweets and, um, you know, kind of Instagram posts. And I'll use those. And then there's a great, um, there's a couple great apps on your phone that you can use to make those visual. So one of them is called uh, Typorama. Let me look. I actually have to check. One is called WordSwag. That is my favorite. And WordSwag is a super easy app that helps you take like little posts and make them visual and colorful, etc. And then the other one is Typorama. It's called. I don't like that one as much. But um, then we uh, will convert those to pictures. But I, I don't have to do that, right? So I, I have someone to help. And the first phase of this is automating the thinking. Automation is anything you create a process for. So it's not just technology. There's the thinking part of this. Part of automating it is developing a strategy and a system for capturing these thoughts in a way while I'm driving or I'm on the fly um, in between phone calls or whatever. I have a quick idea. I just jot it down on my phone, and then they're all all of these ideas are just sort of cataloging. And I'm not too sophisticated. I don't use Evernote or anything like that. I probably can um, but I'm basically just cataloging these notes, and then they end up becoming tweets and blog posts and stuff like that. Um, and, of course, you can use a tool like Hootsuite to schedule your posts, which is what I do. I'm never on Facebook or Twitter in the middle of the day. Never. Um, I I do respond, and I usually do I do, do that three times a day, usually on Instagram and Twitter via Hootsuite. I'll do it once in the morning as part of my morning routine. Uh, I'll do it usually once around lunch in the middle of the day, and then I will usually do it once at the end of the day. And that's just now our following is growing, and so I got a lot of people talking to me, asking questions, making comments, and so I'm trying to engage with them a little bit. But it is not interrupting my day whatsoever. I mean, during the day, I am on calls. I am talking to prospects, talking to clients, talking to team members. I'm working on projects. I am making things happen, and so... You know, this is all filtering in around everything, but it's become a huge, powerful force. I mean, we have tens of thousands of dedicated people that we're reaching now through these mediums, and of course, that's turning into leads. But that is sort of the the high level strategy for the rented uh, real estate, which I would consider the social media platforms, and then the owned real estate, which would be blog, podcast, and email list. 
And then when people get on our email list, if they subscribe on the blog, they're going to automatically get emails every time we post a blog. So that's three times a week. So that's a lot. But that's people who really want to hear from us. That at the high level is our whole strategy for the, the rented real estate and for the owned real estate. Now, when you talk about the earned real estate, it's a funny thing because um, while I got turned down by all of these major media outlets and you know, before we had a book and before we had our company and all this stuff, it, it was like nobody wanted to talk. Well, I think the earned, real, the earned stuff happens as a byproduct of you becoming a authority figure, um, which is based on just your reputation, your online reputation of having people listen to you and tune in. And, and you know, for our coaches and our c- company now, we're all sort of funneling towards this this one podcast so that all of our clients can come to one place and get this. But we're, we're teaching and we're in the mode of getting uh, more progressive about teaching our team how to manage sort of their social media channels. And now we are helping manage the blog for them so that we can be collecting articles and then we're posting it in a central place so that they don't have to deal with all of that. And because it is a lot, it's expensive, it's time consuming, it's a headache, it's a lot to learn, but you can automate it, you can delegate it um, if you have time and money or if you make time and money, which is what what we've done. It's what I've done. We've built from scratch uh, and we build it up and up and up and you can you can do the same thing and it doesn't have to take it doesn't have to be your whole life you really can't do it in a few minutes in the morning a few minutes in the middle of the day a few minutes at the end of the day and we're constantly reinvesting into systems and into people and that's how we are growing but the earned real estate right the earned media appearances come by way of the social credibility that you build it's your online reputation that was one of the cool things is that Fox found us most recently. And all of these online things that you're putting out there, they're like tentacles that are spreading all throughout the virtual world, right? You have all these these podcasts. I now have over 100 episodes of this show that you can go listen to and that any of our clients can listen to and thousands of blog articles. I mean, that blog is a it's 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 a master's degree. It's more than a master's degree. It's it is a doctorate and it's all free, right? It's just out there. Um, but people consume it in bite-sized nuggets, and then they're usually going to engage with us for coaching for that one-on-one accountability to help them actually apply these things. So there you have it. Those are the secrets that is behind the scenes of how we operate our new media strategy for Southwestern Consulting, for all of our coaches, and now what we are teaching our clients, which includes you. You're going to be hearing more about this as we refer to it as the automated revenue machine. We're keeping you on the cutting edge right here every single week. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and screenshot this episode to share with your friends on social media. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst and subscribe to our video podcast on YouTube. Thanks for listening.